All right. Well, welcome to another episode of Innovation Tech Talks presented by Omron, a leader in healthcare technology. I'm your host, Corey Knowles, and we have a neat guest today, Dr. Robert Ambrose. He's the chairman of robotics and artificial intelligence for Alliant Group and the former chief of software robotics and simulation at NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston. Dr. Ambrose, how are you doing today? Doing well. Nice to meet you, Corey. Thanks for inviting me to talk today. Oh, thank you very much. We're glad to have you here. I guess uh, to start out, I'd like to ask a little bit about your time with NASA. How did you how'd you land in this field? Well, I really enjoyed working at NASA. I was there for 21 years. I uh, worked with just tremendous people, uh, incredible challenges. Uh, working at NASA's uh, incredible, incredible privilege. Uh, I tell people uh, it might be one of the only U.S. government agencies the rest of the world likes and uh, might be one of the few even Americans like. Uh, it's, it has something to do with the mission. You know, NASA just has this incredible mission and it's, you know, it's for all mankind and it attracts people that you know, resonate with that mission. And I certainly did since uh, I was a kid. I'd always wanted to work there. It's It's always been one of those final frontiers where different countries even play well together oh. uh, until recently, I guess. Um, well, and even, and even still, you know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, if there's one place uh, that can uh, work with the rest of the world, it's definitely NASA. That's impressive. So during your, uh, during your time there, did you work on any projects that our listeners might be familiar with? I know you worked on, oh, and I can't remember the name of it, the giant truck. The yeah. the multi the thing I saw on uh, Ozzy and Jack's World Detour. There you go. So uh, that was the, uh, the Chariot Rover. We called it a Chariot. Uh, we built a chassis first that was twelve wheel drive, could go in any direction, you know, up and down, uh, active suspension. And then we put a couple of different cabins on it, and that really revolutionized the way we we think about exploring the, the moon and Mars with people. Uh, driving around, where having to wear a spacesuit is really not a lot of fun. Uh, the you know the suit hits you in all the wrong spots, and then uh, when you're bouncing in a rover, it's really harsh. Uh, and what we found was in, in a pressurized cabin, you could uh, you know kind of pick where you're going to park, and you, we had good windows, and we could do a lot of science through the windows. And then we had uh, things called suit ports, which allowed the people to go in and out of the cabin without having to depressurize the cabin like they did Apollo. And that meant that oh, wow. the suits, when you come, you come back in, they kind of hang on the outside of, the, of the, the pressure vessel and you climb in and out of them through hatches. And that was great because, you know, the suits were really covered in uh, lunar regolith in Apollo. And, and when they would bring them into the cabin and then repressurize, that dust got everywhere. And uh, it, was, it was hard on the people and the equipment. So this was a really good uh, approach. And we now see... And like all the cartoons, you know, showing animations of how we're going to do it on the moon and Mars. You see the, you know, the um, derivatives of our chariot rover. And in the movie, the, the, the book in the movie, The Martian, you know, those rovers were based on on the two that we built. And oh, wow. um, it was that was great to see that picked up as a new approach to uh, exploring. And nothing says you own a planet like your RV around it off road. <laughs> will. You know, that really says you own it. So. Climbing over um, rocks. <laughs> yeah. So we, we had a, um, we've got a, a small version of that rover that's planned to go in. It's going to go to the moon uh, Thanksgiving 20, 
three, which in aerospace terms is like tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and it's a quick <laughs> ride to the moon. It'll be there around Christmas of 23. And that's a little rover called Viper. It has this, it's kind of a miniature version of the chariot kinematics with uh, active suspension and steer in any direction kind of uh, steering capabilities. And uh, its job is to ground truth the orbital data that we have that, that says there's a lot of hydrogen at the South Pole. Uh, based on orbital data, we're going to ground truth it with some instruments and see exactly how much there is. And it's, you know, that's probably water ice trapped in the, the soil at the South Pole. And if we can ground truth in you know, a couple different areas um, and get a good correlation between what we found on the ground with orbital data, then we'll know exactly how much water is everywhere uh, across the lunar surface where we've got good data now. So that's Viper. Uh, you're going to hear a lot about that machine in the future. Uh, we built a couple other uh, robots. Uh, Robonaut 1 uh, was a, a real breakthrough system. Uh, NASA, I, I developed that with, with DARPA. And it's now in the Smithsonian. So if you go to the Smithsonian Airspace Museum on the mall, uh, go visit Robonaut. Uh, it's, it's in the NASA room, in the oh, Beyond wow. Earth room. And then the Robonaut 2 system we developed in a partnership with General Motors, and it went to the International Space Station. And that was all about making a robot safe to work around people. Uh, oh. So, you know, at the Johnson Space Center, we're not trying to replace people. You know, we, you know, our astronauts are our friends. You know, we're just trying to build systems to help them do their jobs safely. And so GM had that same idea that on an assembly line, there were jobs that were hurting people. So the robot should do those jobs, but it needs to do it really safely right next to a person. You know, so it's all about them, that there will be people, and we just want the robots to be able to work with them side by side safely. And then the uh, the Valkyrie robot, uh, yeah. you know, first you know, bipedal robot, uh, also developed with the NSF and uh, um, DARPA and uh, some defense funding for doing bomb disposal. You know, the bomb disposal job is like literally the worst job on Earth. Yeah, and they they know it. And what they want is that they, we, we don't want to replace the people doing the bomb disposal. We just want to step them back a few steps. Yeah. So they, you know, they, they command the robot and um, but they want to be outside the blast radius. You know, yes. Yeah. You know, and so it's a it's a terrible job. And we think the robot technology is now there to let them um, you know, be able to get uh, huge challenges, like to get between two parked cars. Yeah. And, and, and open a door, car door, and get something out of the back seat of a car. You know, that robotically, that is a huge challenge. Humans are yeah. just so athletic. We do it easily. <laughs> and you, you know how, how close cars can be parked. You know, sometimes it takes a lot of athleticism to get in and out of a car. Yeah. So, you know, That's an extra thousand servo motors or something. Isn't it? <laughs> uh, you know, a big tank robot can't fit between two parked cars. You know? So it just, we had to come up with a different kind of robot and, uh, that was a great project too. So those are all machines that we, we developed at JSC uh, and a bunch of others, you know, free flyers. We built the jet packs that the astronauts wear, a bunch of great projects. And I, I can't say enough about how much uh, I enjoyed working in NASA. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. And now you're moving a lot in the AI world as well, I assume. And uh, it's something I've wondered, you know, we see, AI on labels for everything you buy now. Uh, but in a lot of ways, that's not what we think of as AI. Are, are we at a stepping stone on the way to that point? 
Yeah, and it's it's um, it's a path of stepping stones. And okay, we're we're well on the path already, um, and a lot more to come. Uh, to, I don't know to overuse the metaphor, but at some point it's going to become a sidewalk, and then it'll <laughs> eventually be a highway. Um, uh, we're we're in in those in that early phase now. Uh, a bunch of you know, fairly narrow but productive. Uh, AI tools are being used in society right now, um, and they're they're uh, narrow in which you know like like a, a, a vacuum robot it only vacuums. But you know, hey, if it has a business case, it makes you more productive. Uh, it doesn't need to do all a bunch of other things. If, yeah. if just doing that one job is enough for it to have a return on investment, then you know, then you use that that tool, right? So there are a bunch of these AI applications that are fairly narrow for usually helping someone uh, sort through more data than a human could really understand, right? And yeah. try and spot something helpful uh, that could uh, be used by the business uh, to, to make themselves more productive or uh, fix a spot a problem before it becomes too big. You know, once the problem is huge, then of course a person can see it because you know it's just, it's blown up as a big problem. Being able to spot problems early in data, you know, what a great application for an artificial intelligence algorithm. Yeah, and I mean, I can see that having applications in in space, in business, in military, in just about everywhere. Yeah, and and so there are a bunch of these industries that are you know going through this adoption right now, and it's going to change them, but it's not. Um, uh, wholesale change because they've they've already been changing, and what's uh, uh, what's different is the rate of change. You know okay. when uh, you know if you think like you know, th- hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago, people farmed the same way their dad farmed, and he farmed the same way their granddad farmed. And they used the exact uh-huh. same tools, and if you mastered a tool like a single tool, you could you know you could live your whole career using that one tool, not, not so today, right? So yeah. today we are moving so fast that the tools are evolving quickly. So you can't think, hey, I mastered this one tool, I'm done with the rest of my life. You know, I'm never yeah. gonna have to learn a new tool. You gotta stay on it now because tools are evolving very quickly. You know, the idea that I mean, you're not using the same tools that your parents used right now yeah, you know, at the same point in their lives and, uh, and you're, you know, the next generation uh, will be on to other things too. AI is a tool, right? Yeah. These are tools that can be used uh, in business to help spot trends, to see um, connections and to uh, you know, basically like an agent that you can send into a data set to help find something for you. You know, much, um, much, and you know, anyone who uses Google or buys something on Amazon, you know, you're working with artificial intelligence. You know, and these are just you know fairly narrow apps that are are helpful for looking through things and finding you what you're looking for. And uh, they're you know they they aren't an artificial intelligence like you see in a sci-fi movie. You know, where yeah. it's got a personality yeah. or you know it it talks to you or something. You're not going to have a deep conversation. With yeah. one of these search engines, but you don't want to, right? I mean, that's what people are for. You want you want these AI tools to do what they do and get you what you need. And you know, yeah. the AI algorithm yeah. is one of the sharpest tools in the modern toolkit today. Wow. 
Well, we're going to take just a quick uh, short break here for a quick message from our sponsors at Omron Healthcare. Today's episode of Innovation Tech Talks is brought to you by Omron. Omron is a world leader in technology designed to solve social issues, improve lives, and build a better tomorrow. They serve a range of industries which utilize their technologies to innovate and grow factory automation, healthcare, mobility, and energy management. In the industrial automation business, Omron Technology demonstrates the power of machines to unleash human potential, pursuing the ideal in automation, in which people and machines are working together in harmony. Omron provides sensing, control, safety, vision, motion, and robotics technologies for the automotive, food and beverage packaging, semiconductor, electronics, life sciences, and infrastructure industries. For over 80 years, Omron has helped industrial businesses maximize potential by solving problems with creativity. Learn more, go to automation.omron.com. So, Dr. Ambrose, what can you tell me about the intersection of robotics and artificial intelligence? Well, there's a big overlap. Um, If you think of what's called a Venn diagram, like you draw two circles, one's robots and one's autonomy, yeah. artificial intelligence that intersection between the two is is you know what um we started with really in, in robotics you know all the early um science fiction uh from you know like asimov uh it was all about robots that were fully autonomous or highly autonomous and uh you know that's what people tend to think of but the the other two segments you know the the part of ai that's not robotics and the part of uh, robotics that's not AI, you know, that's where most of the business is right now. So, okay. um, you know, data uh, manipulation tools that you know, use artificial intelligence, machine learning that, that aren't embodied. I mean, they're searching through a database which barely exists in physics, right? It's, it's a data structure. Uh, it's not a physical structure. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not embodied. And then, uh, but it's very productive and used all day long in businesses today and much more to come in that, that class of an AI agent that's not really embodied. And then in the case of robotics, um, you know, the vast majority of robots don't have artificial intelligence because they don't really need it for the job that they're doing today. Um, you know, they're doing things that are repetitive. Uh, they are typically uh, taught using keyboards and teach pendants to do a job tweaked till it's working well. And then they just run the robot because it's just minting money for the company, right? To do a job. And then if it's uh, the right kind of robot, uh, when it's done doing a job, it can be reprogrammed to do a new job. So oh, you, wow. you don't throw it away, you know, you repurpose it for doing different jobs and that's called flexible automation. And it's a much more, a sustainable approach to putting robots in your works, your work uh, place where you can repurpose them. Um, but, you know, the robot has to be designed to do that. You know, a vacuum cleaner, you know, it, it doesn't really have a lot of other functions it could do. Um, so it's not really designed for that, but flexible automation is designed to be uh, repurposed for lots of different jobs. And sometimes you put a different hand on the robot or you put a different, uh, interface on it uh, for moving material around and uh, you can reuse it for different jobs. But that intersection between the two is where it's an embodied uh, artificial intelligence. So it's not just um, communicating with you. It can also do things. Oh, wow. And, I, you know, that, that's that's uh, where 
both robotics and AI started in science fiction. And, you know, that's the highest utility in, you know, uh, uh, in, in the space. So, um, uh, it's kind of the, the summit. <laughs> it, yeah. It's the apex system, you know, is the artificially intelligent robotic system. And that's, that's the, you know, the apex machine. Uh, it's, uh, um, uh, coming and, you know, we're, uh, we're seeing, uh, a number of uh, more general robotic systems. So instead of just doing one function, they're able to do you know, many more and they don't need a person to reprogram them to go do the new job. So flexible automation oh, wow. with a lot of people's help can be switched from you know packing potato chips one day to you know folding boxes the next day. You know, and that's a useful machine to have in your factory, right? Yeah. But uh, an artificially intelligent machine uh, doesn't need to be reprogrammed. It, it has the ability to learn and uh, maybe the way you interact with it to, um, to program it is at a higher level. So you're not necessarily writing new source code. You're showing it things and it's learning and getting better. And then wow. even as it's doing the task, it can improve. Most flexible automation, it's only, you know, you write the program and it does exactly what you tell it to do, no matter how badly you programmed it, (laughs) exactly what you tell it to do and no better. Um, And most robots that are programmed that way, you know, they're, they're best on day one and it's all down. I guess they're kind of like humans in that sense. It's all down, you know, after they are, but. As soon um, as you're born, you're dying. That kind of. But, but with. Uh, art, artificial intelligence, um, it has the chance to get better. And with the right kind of uh, sensing where it can kind of observe what is what its product is, yeah. it can monitor things. And that's, you know, people aren't all downhill. You know, I'm joking. So we, yeah. we learn and we get better and we adapt. And a, a at the intersection of artificial intelligence robotics, you have machines that can do a little of that. They, they're not anywhere near as adaptive as a human being, but um, they have the ability to adapt and uh, learn and get better at the job that we assign them without being so incredibly high maintenance. You don't have to program yeah. it on a keyboard to, to change the way it's working. It will be able to monitor itself and and improve on things uh, without um, being so pedantic that you, know, you have to do it all for it. That's impressive. You know, with the... With the labor shortage we've been dealing with for the last, I guess, two years now, is there a role for AI and robotics in possibly solving or dealing with that? Uh, absolutely, and I and I think it's it's a really important moment. Um, so uh, I may go off on a, a slight tangent here about. Um, you know, uh, I'm an American, I'm a proud American, but I got to say, we Americans, we got a problem with robots and AI. For some reason, compared to other countries, we were really afraid of them. And I think it's because, <laughs> you know, like an autonomous thing, just mindlessly doing whatever it's told to do, you know, couldn't be more opposite of an American, right? So yeah. I think there's just something about it that we've just kind of got this hang up that we're afraid of America, uh, robots more than anybody else. And it's kind of held us back in implementing robotics uh, and, and AI that 
it's just maybe we've just seen too many bad sci-fi movies. Too I don't many, know, but 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 we so we, many, we, yeah, so many. So, <laughs> but compared to other countries, you know, we've we've got more of an, uh, a fear or an attitude about it. But what I'm seeing, so back to the, your your question, um, we're in a moment where we have major shortages in critical industries. And yeah. so the fear, you know, some irrational fear that robots are going to take your job, you know, technology has always displaced workers. You know, the sewing machine took a lot of jobs, you know, with needle and thread. I mean, that, yeah. you know, with a sewing machine, you can you know, run circles around someone with a needle and thread, right? So that's just natural. But I think now the, the fear that you can't hire somebody. Yeah. But you put out a, a one ad and it, and you get nothing. You go to McDonald's, and, there's two people, three people at the one right by us. It's crazy. Yeah, and and so this fear that I can't I can't hire. Yeah. I think we're at a moment where the fear of going out of business might trump the fear of some dumb movie we saw when we were a kid and we've been frightened by it. I think the fear of going out of business is in our face, right? And yeah. some irrational fear about something else, you know, that's just silly talk when you're trying to talk about your bottom line. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got to figure out how to get the job done now with three people instead of four. Yeah. Because you can't find the fourth one. That's right. And so you've got to figure out how with, you know, it's not that you're firing the fourth one. They're, they're missing. You know, you've got a fourth chair yeah. in the office. There's no one there. So you've got to figure out how three people can do the job that four people used to do. And it's all about tools and to make them productive. You know, what can you give yeah. the three people you've got? So they, maybe they can do the work of five people. You might expand your business if you get the right kind of productivity tools. Yeah. So it's desperation that I got to figure out how to still deliver for my customers. And I've got a one ad. It's been out there for three weeks. I've got nothing. I've got to figure out how I'm going to still be able to, maybe this is the new normal is I'm just not going to have as many workers as I used to be able to get. Yeah. And I've got to come up with the tools that those workers use to be productive and, and, and still keep my business and insolvency. So yeah, I think we're at that moment, and I'm actually hopeful that that the the fear of robots taking jobs, you know, that's that's a dumb idea in a world where we're short so many workers. We're short yes. millions of workers right now in America, and they're the industries that are all looking at robotics and autonomy. So, yeah. you know, think about food. So, if you want, yeah. I can just tell you about a bunch of industries that are that are thinking through this right now in desperation. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I think so, about it with fast food, for example, like a robot can flip burgers and drop fries. A robot could throw things in a bag. There's there's a variety of roles that. Well, so let's talk about food. So for the last several years, McDonald's has had a robot that that makes coffee. And it's not it doesn't do it by itself, but it, it's a machine. It looks kind of like a little carousel. And depending on, you know, if you order one, two, however many sugars, creams, it puts them in, it puts a little sticker on the side of the cup that's got your order number and the ingredients you requested. And it's like a little assembly line. It's tiny. It's not a big machine. Yeah. And it, the, the person is still at the front end taking the order, but you know, that might be changing, right? Yeah. And then at the, and at the last step, a person puts the, 
the cover on the coffee and hands it through the window at the drive-through, right? So, mm-hmm. but the but the robot has them all in order. You know, that keeps all the cups of coffee with the right ingredients and the right sizes. And oh, it's, wow. it's like a little mini assembly line doing that. And, you know, that's because they they couldn't find enough workers, right? So this, this machine is sorting the coffee orders and queuing them up at the drive-through window. Um, again, please don't dump that coffee in your lap. It's hot. But, you know, <laughs> the, the robot will put all the right ingredients in it. And as long as the lid get puts on gets put on right, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be happy with your robot coffee. Um, there are so many other parts of the food chain that are just struggling to hire. So, like grocery stores, totally gonna be reinvented. You know the way food gets to your house. You know if it if you order it, why why should it sit for five days at the grocery store? It's a good question. Buy it. You know, maybe it should just, maybe the grocery store is um, not the right way to queue up all the food. Yeah. Because it takes a lot of labor to put it on the shelves in the first place. And, you know, why do you even put it on the shelf? It should just go straight to you. So the, all the big companies are thinking through how to do that. And the pandemic really accelerated all of those. You know, they went live. Yeah. And most grocery stores with new curbside services, and there are all sorts of new innovations there. Um, and then on the farm, you should see all the robots being built for farm work right now. Oh, I'll bet. Um, and, you know, the farming communities have struggled to uh, uh, hire people for decades. Yeah. And, you know, our rural communities have been shedding people that they, they you know, they grow up and then they, they go to the big city to have a life. And they just, that's my story. (laughs) Yeah. So, so, you know, imagine, um, two people running a farm. That's a really big farm, but they can do it. Uh, again, you know, a thousand years ago, people farmed exactly the way their dad farmed with the exact same tools, you know, maybe even the same horse because horses live a long time. So, um, today, you know, the modern farmer is driving a multi-million dollar robot tractor that's connected to drones and using satellite images. And he's got a, on his, on his smartphone, he's got an app monitoring the Chinese commodity market. I mean, these guys are tapped in. They don't want any part of grandpa's tractor. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they're cool to have. Yeah. But as far as for labor. Oh, no way. No way. You know, it's, it's like a 1964 Mustang. You know, it's good to have in your garage, but you will be working on it all the time to keep yeah. that thing running. <laughs> you'll you'll drive your modern car to the auto zone to get parts to come back and work on your. It's a it's a hobby. It's not a real. So you know the the, the modern equipment is just so much better, and uh, yeah, the um, uh, the machines that those farmers drive are like spaceships. I mean, they're just amazing what they've got, and they're very impressive. So you know, all and in construction. Healthcare, transportation—you know—all of these industries are just struggling right now. They all have help wanted signs out. Every single one of those industries has help wanted signs mm-hmm. out. They're not able to fill the seats. What are you going to do? Yeah. So you've got to figure out how to build a building with twenty people instead of thirty people. Yeah. I mean that's the challenge, right? And 
um, because you, you can't you can't hire 30 people. Yeah. And so you've got to figure out how to build a building with only 20 people instead of 30 people. And, you know, if you look at how buildings were built 100 years ago, it's already changed. It's just that it's changing fast now. Yeah. Right. So the tools that they're going to use are, are different. And, and, you know, construction sites are dangerous. So, you know, the, they're little technologies like uh, here's your new hard hat. It's a smart hard hat. If you wear this hard hat and you're already trained to wear it, I promise no forklift will run over you at the construction site because it's got a tracker in it. And the, the fork, you could try and run right at you and the forklift will stop. Wow. As long as you're wearing your hard hat. But if you, you leave the hard hat in the latrine, you're on your own. You're and on you your own. Like run over, you know, and the latrine won't. But, you know, you can, you know, no crane will ever lift something over you if you're wearing, wearing your smart helmet. Right. Wow. And, and a lot of people get hurt at a construction site, mainly pedestrians, you know, walking around. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we're already trained to wear helmets and vests and gloves uh, and boots at a construction site. So at NASA, I was building that equipment for the astronauts. Right. So smart yeah. gloves, actuated gloves, uh, smart shoes that can sense and detect load pr- and pressures, uh, exoskeletons, um, helmets that display data. They're like the opposite of beer goggles. When you put them on, they make you smarter. <laughs> you, know, you can see data. You look at a machine that's just spewing data on a wireless channel, and you can see the data, like dials and indicators, appear virtually in front of the machine. When you take the helmet off, you can't see them, right? Because they aren't yeah. really there. But you put the helmet on, you look at a machine, it'll tell you how it's doing. Wow. That's you can crazy. just look at it. When you look away, you know, the, the, the little virtual dial stays on the machine. And if it's got a problem, you know, it's red. And if it's cool, it's green. You know, that's the kind of technologies. You could just walk through a facility and look for problems and write on the machines. If the problem, if, the, if a machine's got a problem, you might even see an arrow on the ground leading you to the machine that needs help. Flashing red lights or something. And <laughs> yeah, but it's all virtual. It's all yeah. virtual, right? And, all, and you have to wear wear the helmet to see it, but wow. it guides you right to where you, we got a problem. And, you know, uh, what a great approach. And again, it's all about productivity. Having to wait till you smell smoke, you know, that's not productive, right? You know, getting, yeah. having the data see, hey, this machine's going to have some magic smoke coming out of it in about 10 minutes. Why don't you get there? before the problem and figure yeah. out what's going on. Why is this machine overheating? And, uh, you know, that's the kind of new um, AI and human kind of interface and robotics equipment that we're building. We're, we're doing it for NASA, but you can see how that would help here on Earth, right? There are all these industries that could use that tech. Where do you see the future of AI over the next 10, 20, 50? Because, I mean, I assume just like all technology – it tends to ramp up speed as it, I mean, as it, as it develops, it starts developing faster in general. Yeah, I think um, it's 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 a building kind of pace. It's not a step function. 
Yeah. But like one day, you know, we had the singularity and, you know, the, the clouds part and the, <laughs> it's not one of those kind of things. Clone wars. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's going to be just a, a steady acceleration of the technology as the pace quickens. And we're already seeing it. You know, I always tell people that the future looks a lot like the present because that's where it starts. Yeah. You know, the future starts from now. So, you know, it's going to be a nice continuous thing. Every now and then there's a shocker, you know, with a new breakthrough or something, but it's mainly a steady uh, history of progression up to this point. And there's no reason to believe that, that that's not going to change. It's just going to have a quickening. Yeah. Um, and there, there's something about uh, innovation where you have people adopting things and trying things and communicating with others, trying things. And then that tends to accelerate the pace of innovation. If you see it, the other guy trying something, it gives you an idea. And so you're able to see even, even people sitting at home wearing their sweatpants in a pandemic can, can, can see people all around the world trying things, trying to come up with solutions just from a, in any PC now and can go get advice and go see how somebody else has already figured out how to solve a problem. And it really is just accelerating our innovation to go solve problems and uh, in business, make our people more productive. Uh, and so I, I tell people, you know, the future looks a lot like the present, you know, just, um, just more of it. So, uh, there, and, there, and there are a lot of examples of that. You know, I, I tell people uh, you're, um, you've seen things around you just become robotically and intelligent, right? Yeah. So like a, like the elevator. A hundred years ago, an elevator was operated by a guy with a funny uniform. And he, was, he just had a switch where he would spark that motor up and down. And he yeah. had to manually open the doors because there were no motors for that, right? He was the manual force that opened and closed the doors. And he'd try and stick the landing on each floor. And he got good at it. I mean, he could stick the landing. Oh, yeah. But today, you know, we don't need an extra person driving the elevator, right? And right. You know, there are banks of elevators. And elevators have recently gotten even better where a whole collection of elevators work together. And you tell it what floor you want to go to in a big, in a big building. Yeah. And it takes you right there. It does not give you a tour of the whole building. It takes you right to floor 14. And it, what that means is you're not going to breathe the air on floors one through 13. You're going to yeah. go right to 14 and you know, it's better for hygiene and lots of other, it, plus it's quick. You get right to building floor 14 yeah, and, and so, so in plain sight, the elevator went from this thing that a guy drove to a, a collection of robots all working together. So it just kind of became an intelligent robotic system in plain sight. And it's still doing the th same thing. It's just moving people up and down in a building. And a, and a gas pump, same thing. You know, when I was a kid, you pulled into a gas station, it rang a bell. A guy in a funny uniform came out. Um, asked you what kind of gas you wanted. You pop the hood, you check the oil. Imagine having to check the oil on your car every time you fill up or every time you plug it in. in inconceivable today, right? Yeah. Now, a 1964 Mustang, yeah, you better keep an eye on it. Yeah. But today, a modern car can go so far without checking the oil. And then you don't need a guy in a funny uniform. It checks its own dang oil. It has sensors. And I mean, we complain about all the sensors in a car, 
But imagine if you had to check the oil every time you filled up or plugged it in. That'd drive you nuts today. I mean, my car, you you just do it on the little dash thing. I just hit a button and it shows me a level and there's not a dipstick. Uh, Right. So, and then at the gas station, they made the gas pump easy enough to use. And for a while, you would still have to go talk to a guy in a booth who was kind of managing all the, you know, all the pumps. And, and they ran your car. Remember the ka-ching, ka-ching machine? Yeah. You know, he would he would take your credit. But now, it, <laughs> now it's all done at the pump. It takes your credit card. It's easy enough that basically anyone can use it. And while you're you're there, it's trying to sell you something on a little TV, right? It, but in plain sight, the gas pump became a robot. It became its own little store. You can get a get a car wash there. You can. There's yeah. all kinds of. I mean, I remember when getting in line behind when someone pulled out a credit card was like, oh god, here we yeah. go. Now we got to wait on him to get the machine out, put the little paper in, and yeah. and now if you see anything other than a credit card, you roll your eyes. Right. That's that's <laughs> absolutely right. So you know these are things that were already in society, and they became robots in plain sight. You know, they just gradually became, you know, a smart, hooked up, wired into data systems, easier to use. And if you ever went and used a 1960s gas pump, you would be, you know, it would be nostalgic, but you wouldn't want to use it very often. <laughs> <laughs> With the big glass bottle on the top and the, yeah. yeah. And, and, and having to go, uh, you know, go in and out of the stores to pay. And it was just, it was took, it took the time to get uh, gas today is just really short. So uh, it was all about productivity. And so now the person at the gas station is inside selling you Gatorade, right? Yeah. And, and not, not, not running in and out of the building to go check your oil. Right. I mean, it's so the, it totally changed the business and it, it happened slowly over, you know, decades, but you know, that's, what the future looks like. There are going to be a bunch of these functions that take a lot of people right now. Yeah. And eventually it'll just be one person with a bunch of automated equipment can do the job. And we're at a moment where they can't hire four people to work at a gas station. Can you imagine a gas station with four people? No, not anymore. (laughs) We couldn't find four people to work at a gas station. So it just is inconceivable and, and we're at that moment where we've got to figure out how to do these things with the smaller workforce mm-hmm. because you know the, the, the workers are just not there. Yeah. So, um, so those businesses that figure it out, figure out how to run a gas station with one person. You know, that's the challenge. Yeah. How do you do these things that now take a lot of people? You can't hire the people. How are you going to do it? Well, it's, it's with uh, automation and intelligent uh, robotic systems. Wow. Well, Dr. Ambrose, this has been super interesting and a lot of fun. Where uh, where can our listeners find out more information on this and about your team at Alliant Group? Well, if certainly if you Google Alliant, um, you know we've got some uh, great uh, talks online that in- include some suggestions on how businesses can make investments in these kinds of tools. And then with some R&D tax credits, uh, the government will, will pay you for that. And that that's money back in your bottom line. Wow. So uh, the, the U.S. government is trying to encourage companies 
to explore and adopt some of these um, new technologies that we've talked about today, Corey. And with that R&D tax credit, uh, it's a great way uh, to help uh, fund companies making these investments for our nation, make sure that you know America's on the leading edge. So if you go check out Alliant Group, uh, uh, they understand the, the R&D tax credit and the other aspects of the tax code that are there to help companies make the make this transition uh, to be able to uh, perform their jobs with the, the smaller workforce that we seem to have coming. And uh, I think that's going to be critical to our, our nation uh, in the next uh, you know 10 to 15 years. Uh, wow. All the signs are that the worker shortage we have right now is not just a blip. Yes. This might be the new normal. Yeah. Wow. Well, Dr. Ambrose, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. This is it's been really interesting. It's been a lot of fun. Well, thank you, Corey. Make sure to follow Innovation Tech Talks on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, pick up a copy of Innovation Tech today, wherever magazines are sold. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.